Hello and welcome to another edition of Ed Choice Chats. This is our legal edition. I'm your VP of Communications here at Ed Choice, Jennifer Wagner, and I am joined today by the one and only Leslie Heiner, our VP of Legal Affairs and the head of our Legal Defense and Education Center. So, welcome back, Leslie. Thank you. I'm really anxious to do this podcast because, as we said during the last uh, legal updates, litigation is fast and furious. It's really moving. So I'm just happy to be able to update people on where some of these cases stand today. Well, fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, you, you alluded to our last podcast, which was a little bit ago. And when we recorded that, we did not yet know, obviously, we've got a lot going on with the pandemic still and the funds attached to some of the federal relief that came down. And we did not know at the time of the last podcast, what would happen with respect to the U.S. Department of Education and some of the litigation that they had filed with respect to the way states are allowed to use this money and whether or not the money could go toward private schools. So why don't you, I guess by way of starting us out, catch us up now that it's been a minute since that happened? Okay, let's start with the litigation that was filed against the U.S. Department of Education over the use of CARES Act funds. So it's important for us now to make a distinction regarding the CARES Act. Under the CARES Act, there is something called the Department of Education Stabilization Fund. And under that fund, another fund called ESSER. So ESSER stands for Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. So what happened previously was that the Department of Education issued a rule that would have allowed a greater proportion of those funds to be used for private schools, because, of course, they found that in the pandemic, it's not just public schools that are struggling. Private schools are also. However, the department was sued. There were four lawsuits that were filed. The department lost three of those lawsuits. The fourth one, I think, for the most part, just went away. But the question was whether or not the department would appeal the decisions. And the answer to that question is no. The Department of Education decided not to appeal those decisions. However, <laughs> like I said, the litigation just keeps coming. So also in the last update, we let you know that the South Carolina Supreme Court had a case before it regarding the use of GEAR funds. So let's talk about that. Also, under the CARES Act Department of Education Stabilization Fund, there is another fund that's called the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, otherwise known as GEAR funds. And the South Carolina case was regarding the GEAR funds and how the South Carolina governor determined that the state should use those funds. So it was widely known, and our listeners may have heard this language, that the governors had been given a certain amount of money from the feds that was discretionary money to use for education. Well, the interesting thing about the word discretionary is that when you're talking about federal law, there's actually a very specific meaning behind it. So the discretionary part was that governors had the discretion to take the money or not, but they did not have discretion 
in terms of how they used it. Of course, there are certain requirements under the law, et cetera. So litigation was filed saying that the governor had not used the funds properly. And that was the question that was originally before the South Carolina Supreme Court. Now, when we spoke last, the court was about to hear oral arguments. Well, since that time, the court issued its ruling. Now, the program that South Carolina adopted, uh, and this was by Governor McMaster's, was called Safe Grants. Sounds like a proper name for a program during a pandemic. And the Safe Grants would give money for scholarships, for parents to be able to educate their children in a private school if that's what they chose. And of course, at the time, there were a lot of the public schools that were not doing in-person instruction, but many of the private schools were. And so parents preferred that if their kids could have in-person instruction in a safe way, thus the name of the program, Safe Grants. So here's the update. The governor lost that case. So that simply means that those safe grants, they're not happening in South Carolina. But an interesting thing happened. In the ruling, the South Carolina Supreme Court made a mistake, and it's a big one. So here's the mistake. Well, first, let me say that because of the mistake, the governor of South Carolina petitioned the South Carolina Supreme Court for a rehearing of the case and the United States, the U.S. District Attorney, also petitioned the court for request to file an amicus brief in support of the governor's request for a rehearing. Now, this is why. So in the ruling by the South Carolina Supreme Court, the, they made two mistakes. Uh, the one that the federal government is interested in is this, that the South Carolina Supreme Court said, and I'm quoting now, gear funds given to private schools for student tuition must be returned to the state treasury if the student leaves the school before the school term ends. The funds then remain funds of the state to be used presumably however the General Assembly chooses. Ah, that's wrong. <laughs> wrong answer. Uh, actually, there is a federal case, U.S. Supreme Court case, called Buchanan versus Alexander. Now, this case goes all the way back to 1846, and ever since 1846, it has been true that any federal funds given to states remain federal funds. They don't magically turn into state funds. The only time that a state has full discretion and can keep the money from the feds would be if there was an outright grant. But the CARES Act is not an outright grant program. It's an emergency relief program for education. And so the states have money to spend to be able to help education, help kids get to school, and they may or may not use up all the funds, everything so unknown under this pandemic. But if the states don't use up all the funds, then the money goes back to the federal government and for distribution to maybe some other states that need additional funds. So federal funds always remain federal funds. It's a basic provision of the law. And that's why the United States 
is interested in getting this corrected in South Carolina. Now, one other little problem, and this is the one that really gets our attention. So the court also said in South Carolina that the funds that would be given to parents through this publicly funded aid program weren't really intended for parents. The court said that the funds were really intended to give money to private schools. And under South Carolina state constitution, the General Assembly cannot appropriate funds for a private school. Now, that ruling <laughs> flies in the face of decades of U.S. Supreme Court cases, including the landmark case, the Zellman case that was out of Ohio back in 2000, and most recently in the Espinoza case. Just this summer, the court reiterated in these public aid programs, the money goes to the parents. The parents are the beneficiaries, not the schools or anybody else. The money goes to parents on behalf of their children to be used for their children's education. We have state court decisions all across this country that also follow the U.S. Supreme Court's precedent on this issue, but the South Carolina Supreme Court decided to go a different direction. So that's another little thing that needs to be corrected in South Carolina. So now we're waiting for the South Carolina Supreme Court to, to say whether or not they will grant the governor's request for a rehearing. I'm assuming they'll do that, but it's a court, it's the law, and you should never really assume anything. But hopefully the next time we do a legal update, we'll be able to let you know what's happening in South Carolina. And hopefully for those families down there who are, you know, looking for a little bit of relief or a lot of relief, as it may be in this uh, ongoing pandemic, they will not only choose that, but choose a quick rehearing option so that they can get an answer here. Now, I don't want to put you in a difficult legal position because there's no way for you to actually answer this question. But I did want you to maybe highlight it's not just South Carolina. There are other states with leadership that said, oh my gosh, we've got this money potentially available to us to help out our families in need, whether they're in public, private, or charter schools. So I, I do want to make the point, though, to listeners that it's not as though South Carolina is operating in a bubble. They actually were a bit of a trendsetter to some other states. And while we may expect some litigation in those other states, it's also worth mentioning that you know there's a lot of innovation going on out there right now. And at least from my vantage point here at Ed Choice, that's that's a good thing anytime you've got governors and lawmakers who are trying to help out families. That's so right. And I, I'm so glad that you said that, Jen, because there are so many other states that have used money from the CARES Act in the unique ways that their state needs. So in South Carolina, the SAFE grants that would have worked perfectly for the families and their needs in South Carolina. Texas has a, a different kind of program. So does Florida, so do many of these other states. But what's really good about it is that the governors have been able to tailor this money within the guidelines that are under the requirements of the CARES Act to be able to meet the most pressing needs of parents and students in education at this time. 
And we're finding that from state to state, the needs can be a little different from one state to the next. So it's a good thing that there is some funding that they can use, as you said, in innovative ways to meet the most pressing needs. But this case, though, has really just thrown a wrench in the gears. And um, I'm quite certain that other states will be watching this case in South Carolina very closely. I can only imagine. And I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, you know, as our VP of communications, try to cross-pollinate what we're talking about here with some of our latest research on exactly what you were just saying, which is that families are all over the place right now on what they want from their learning environment. If you check out our website, www.edchoice.org, we have a monthly tracking poll of parents and the general population, as well as a quarterly teacher poll. And one of the interesting things that we have seen in there is that you've got, you know, a little bit more than half of parents who are, you know, comfortable sending their kids back to an in-person learning environment, but you've got slightly higher than that who are worried that they're going to contract coronavirus. And the one overarching theme that comes through, which I hope to bridge us to our next topic of more permanent school choice programs that are in place, is that regardless of what type of schooling they want in person, you know, hybrid, online, right now, parents still overwhelmingly want choice. And I think for us right now at this point in the movement, It's important to not just focus on sort of those short-term pandemic-related programs that are popping up, but also, you know, some of those ESA programs. And I know we didn't get great news out of Tennessee on their ESA pilot voucher, but, you know, want to give you a little time to explain what's going on on the other side of school choice on those more long-term solutions. Yes, Jen, you're you're so right in what you just said. And what I find really interesting is that as parents are seeking a whole variety of options or just whatever they can find available to be able to properly educate their kids. And as they're also trying to figure out what is the best way to educate their kids, what do their children need at this time? I think that going forward, we're going to find that parents will continue to have a lot more questions than they ever have before about what kind of options can I have to be able to properly educate my child? And that's a positive thing. Maybe, you know, COVID has been a pretty awful experience for all of us, but that is perhaps maybe one positive note that will come out of it for parents to be more aware of the options that exist or can exist for their kids, because ultimately that will lead to a better education for kids. Now, that said, sometimes we still have to duke it out in court, which is what we're doing in Tennessee. In Tennessee, you may recall from previous update that uh, we lost the case of the trial court, and this was the situation. Tennessee has an ESA pilot voucher program, and it was ruled unconstitutional by the trial court because It violated a unique provision in Tennessee's state constitution called the Home Rule Provision. The Home Rule Provision says that the state legislature cannot pass a law that is applicable only to a county. Now, in the case of their ESA pilot voucher, it applies to Shelby County, which is Memphis, and it also applies to Davidson County, which is Nashville, So it's more than one, but the court nonetheless said no targeting of these counties. It was appealed to the Tennessee 
Court of Appeals, and we did an amicus brief in that case as well. But the Tennessee Court of Appeals ruled that the trial court got it right. So the program is still ruled unconstitutional. Now we're expecting at this time that the state will appeal this ruling to the Tennessee Supreme Court that appeal to be filed uh, yet sometime this month. At that point, then the Tennessee Supreme Court has discretion over whether they will accept the case or whether they will allow the ruling of the lower courts to stand. So uh, again, we have yet more for you to look forward to on our next Legal Updates podcast. We're, we're ensuring less is job security and our listenership for this podcast. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's frustrating. It's like a hurry up and a wait game where you, you know, file litigation or part of litigation or file an amicus brief. And then you sit and you think, oh, those poor families out there that are, you know, waiting to sign up for these programs or get this relief. But, uh, you know, we don't have it near as bad as, as they do as they play the waiting game. That's that's true. And I should say, too, that in in Tennessee, before the litigation was filed and the program was halted, there were, I believe it was just under 2,000 families who had applied. So, you know, we know there are a lot of families there who are waiting and, you know, kids don't have much time to wait. So I'm really hoping the Tennessee Supreme Court will take this case very quickly. And that's, yeah, that's a really good point. That's always what I find interesting is you've got these families out there and we had this in Nevada when they passed their ESA program as well that are willing to sign up for a program that doesn't exist yet. They're so desperate for something to change that they will sign up for something in the hopes that it will become a reality. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. And I, I do want to spend just a few minutes here as we close things out because we will be back probably in the next uh, month or so. But We've gone from a brand new school choice program to one of the nation's oldest that has been litigated in Maine. Also not some great news, but potentially a silver lining with respect to the Espinoza case as we watch that one move forward in litigation. So I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about that one, too. Okay, the case out of Maine is called Carson versus Macon. This was brought by our friends at the Institute for Justice, in particular, Tim Keller, who's a great friend of EdChoice. And he's representing parents who wanted to send their kids to a private religious school, but they couldn't do that in Maine. Now, this summer we had the Espinoza case. The Espinoza case said that in any kind of publicly funded, generally available school choice program, that parents should be able to, must be able to choose private religious school if that's their choice. And if the state refuses that, then that's a violation of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Court was very strong in the Espinosa case this summer. It is a landmark decision that will stand for all time. However, the state of Maine said, oh, no, no, Espinosa surely doesn't apply to us. <laughs> I believe it does. Uh, but they they said, no, it doesn't apply to us. And then the First Circuit Court of Appeals, we've been waiting for their decision in this case, First Circuit Court of Appeals agreed. So we lost at the First Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, that's the bad news. That's also the good news. Because what this does is it presents yet another opportunity 
to take this issue up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, it's important for our listeners to know that the question that was raised before the U.S. Supreme Court in the Espinoza case is the same question that is raised in this case out of Maine, Carson versus Macon. So we have the situation where the U.S. Supreme Court answered the question definitively, but now another court is coming up and saying, well, it's the same same question, but we don't think it applies. We don't think your answer applies, uh, which is a little, a little gutsy. It's a little crazy. It's a little bit, yeah, it's a little out there. Yeah, uh, it's a little surprising. Uh, but yes, so Tim Keller, the Institute for Justice, has said very clearly and publicly that, yes, this case will absolutely be appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I can affirm also that I will be drafting this brief in support of Tim's efforts to get this before the U.S. Supreme Court, and I will be enjoying every minute of drafting drafting that opinion. Here's a, an interesting point that maybe we'll talk about the next time we do our legal update. But in the Espinoza case, the U.S. Supreme Court gave a very heavy review of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And it was really great. They affirmed just the best of the free exercise clause. They answered a lot of questions that have been lingering for, for many, many years. In a concurring opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas, he said, I agree, however, there's more work to do. And he said that there's more work for the court to do in talking about the Establishment Clause, which is also part of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And all the lawyers, I mean, we all agree with him. Yes, there is more for the for the court to do. So it's possible that they might take the opportunity in this case, Carson versus Macon, to take Justice Thomas up on his idea and really again, answer more questions about the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that that have been lingering for for many years. So this could have a a very positive outcome, and and that's what we're hoping for. There'll be a touch of irony to Maine basically saying, oh, you know what, Supreme Court, we're not going to do this, you know, even though you were very, very, very very clear in Espinoza that if you offer this, you have to offer it to all. But, uh, you know, We'll have to stay tuned on that one to see if Maine's obstinance gives the Supreme Court another opportunity to uh, to expand or ex- espouse upon the way that school choice uh, operates in our in our country. So uh, we will wait and see on Maine, wait and see on Tennessee, wait and see on South Carolina, wait and see on a couple of other states that I know you've got in the hopper with uh, litigation and amicus briefs. And uh, but for right now, I think uh, you know. Things, ironically, do seem like they're looking up, even though these are not great decisions in the short term, that there could be a great deal of opportunity for growth in the long term. That's so true. And the bottom line, and as we always say and want to make real clear, the bottom line is that we're fighting for parents and their right and their opportunity to choose how their kids are educated and where they're educated. It's just a fundamental right of parenthood. And there's a clear opportunity for states to be able to help parents be parents. That's what all this litigation is about. It's why we fight so hard and we'll continue to do that. 
And you, you couldn't have said it any better. So uh, it feels like a good place to leave it. Leslie Heiner, our VP of Legal Affairs and the head of our Legal Defense and Education Center. Thanks. Find out more about LDEC and uh, our work in the legal sphere at edchoice.org. And on behalf of all of us here at EdChoice, it's always a pleasure to be with you. I'm Jennifer Wagner, our VP of Communications, and I'll sign off until next time. Thank <laughs> you.